One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is getting closer, ladies and gentlemen. The lockdown was further lifted by the Prime Minister yesterday. Children can be reunited with their grandparents. Lovers can meet again. And it's the return of hugging, apparently. It's scarcely imaginable that I'm even uttering these words. But that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we have been. And this is now where we are going. As I look out into the rather uh, gloomy-looking night sky, day sky, whatever it is, it looks as if it could be in the middle of the night. Uh, it's very gloomy and dark out there. I can bet barely see the Tower of London this morning, but it is still there. I'm pretty sure. I don't think anybody's knocked it down yet, uh, despite the fact that it may or may not have been linked to some very terrible acts that have gone on in the past. Thanks to my campaign of several weeks standing, it also now appears that we will soon see the two-metre social distancing rule reduced to one metre. That will be music to the ears of many small businesses, many restaurant owners and many pubs as well. All people in the hospitality business have been calling for this, and it's also good news uh, for the schools. We'll be speaking to former MEP Lance Foreman, businessman of course as well, who has been very critical of the furlough scheme and some of the other uh, government initiatives that have been going on. We'll be getting his views this morning. We'll also hear later on from Matt Hancock, who will be revealing how the testing and tracing is going as we move through a reduction in infections and deaths. That's all happening later on this afternoon. Meanwhile, the man that gets everything wrong has popped his head up above the parapet. That's right, Professor Neil Ferguson now claims that thousands of lives could have been saved if lockdown had been instituted earlier. Why does anyone listen to this bozo? Of course, The Guardian gleefully jumped on his comments and put them on their front page. Hopeless journalism as usual. This is the same bloke who warned that 500,000 people would die shortly before inviting his married mistress over for an an illegal role in the hay. Thanks, Professor, but no thanks. This is the front page of The Guardian. Thousands of lives could have been saved by an earlier lockdown. Do you want me to do it? You know what, I'm not going to do it today. I'm going to do this instead. It's a change of plan. I'm not going to tear it up. I'm just going to scrunch it up like that and chuck it at the camera. There you go. The Guardian, useless as ever. Zero out of ten. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, You'll be going down the gurgler sooner than you can say. Uh, Jack Robinson. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up later on, we're joined by former police officer Norman Brennan, who, like many hundreds of thousands of people, watched a video last night of two police officers in the London borough of Hackney being set upon and attacked by a group of what can only be described as feral thugs. This is lawless Britain, ladies and gentlemen, and it needs to change, and it needs to change dramatically quickly. We need to hear from you as well, of course. As ever, you are our eyes and ears, and we need your opinions too. 0344 499 1000. Coming up on our homeschooling section today is everything you've ever needed to know about prime numbers, what they are and what they do. And we'll be asking the big question of the day. What on earth will Britain do without Marmite? 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. 
Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Uncanny, isn't it? It's just uncanny. If things go any better, I don't know, I think I'll have to buy a private plane or something and, and helicopter into the building because uh, we may have to put a helipad on the roof, uh, although I wouldn't fancy getting a helicopter today because it is very nasty out there. It looks very dark. It looks very gloomy. It's June, for heaven's sake. It's going to be June the 15th on Monday. We're going to be opening up uh, all sorts of shops. I'm going to be able to go and buy a shirt again, uh, very possibly a pair of shoes. Uh, you might be able to get a haircut soon. You'll certainly be looking at possibilities of going to the pub. The big issue for me today, and I'm very happy that everybody's now come around to my way of thinking, because I've been saying this literally for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. One metre is good enough. It doesn't need to be two metres. All my friends in the hospitality business tell me we can make it work at one metre. We can't make any money at two metres. Let's talk to our good friend Lance Foreman, former MEP for the Brexit Party and the Tory Party as well. Lance, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, Lance. Now, this must be music to your ears, this uh, movement towards a one metre rule, because, I mean, everyone in business that I know seems to think that this is the answer. Um, To be honest, it might help a little bit at the margins, but I just don't think it's going to make a massive difference, actually, particularly for the hospitality uh, trade. We've just heard, you know, in the last day that uh, the two Michelin star Ledbury restaurant is closing down. And um, I just think that um, certainly, you know, amongst, you know, maybe not sort of, you know, fast food coffee shops, which people, you know, pop into on their, you know, way to work or at lunch times. But I think for the restaurant trade generally, and particularly in London, it's going to really struggle. And I don't know, you know, I can't see it surviving this year, actually. And there's so many reasons. It's not just the two metre rule, um, Mike, um, you know, the, the quarantine thing is absolutely crazy. You know, a lot of these restaurants depend on tourism. We're not going to have any tourism for quite some time. Um, the congestion charge doesn't help. That's another thing in London. You know, we've got now, you know, if you want to drive into London to have a meal, you've got a £15 congestion charge, £12.50 ULES charge. If you're there for three hours on a metre rather than an NTP, that's £12.40 quid before you've even had your sort of first cocktail, yeah. 40 quid cover charge just to get in there. So that that's really not going to help. And and restaurants work on very small margins. You know, they, they typically need to have about 85, 90% occupancy just to break even. And they, they, you know, the summer is normally their quietest time. Christmas is their busiest time. They're not going to open in the summer when they're making a loss. There's just no point, and especially if their staff are still, you know, their salaries being paid by the government through the furlough scheme, many are going to go bust. Many will just decide, you know, I've still got to pay my rent. I've still got all my suppliers that I haven't paid. You know, I supply restaurants. Loads and loads of restaurants haven't paid me for food that I supplied them in February, which they've sold to customers and even received payment for. They haven't paid because they're saying they've got no money to pay us. And that, you know, I'm going to be typical of many businesses that supply restaurants. You know, it could be, you know, wine merchants or food suppliers or, you know, laundries. And it'll be cheaper for them just to liquidate the, co- the company, not pay anybody. And then maybe they'll decide they want to start again, you know, at Christmas time or in the new year. 
I think I think we're going to have a really difficult time ahead. But this is where you've been critical of the government in the past, Lance, haven't you? Because you've said basically that the furlough scheme is a sort of superannuated um, unemployment scheme, which helps unscrupulous yeah. business owners to be able to take advantage of it. And while I, I accept that that's true, and it could be that many of these people will take the government's money uh, and then just make everybody redundant in October anyway. I mean, they shouldn't do that. But obviously, we can't rely on them being decent, honest, uh, decent citizens, you know. But, but surely... Um, if they are to do that, there must be some kind of punishment. You can't surely just take a load of government money, shut down the business and restart again without paying your creditors. I mean, that's practically it, criminal. It's, isn't not, it? it's not the restaurateurs that are taking the money. It's basically, you know, the, the money is there to look after their staff. You know, the, the, you know, closing down restaurants and saying we'll pay your staff doesn't help the restaurant. It helps the staff of the restaurant. Yes. So this is, to say, this is an inflated sort of unemployment benefit for people that, you know, were working for these businesses. It doesn't help the business. Where, where the government has helped the business is in, you know, uh, foregoing their rates. They've said they don't have to pay rates for a year. So that obviously will help them. But they still have to pay their rent. And I know a lot of restaurateurs have been complaining to landlords, you know, I can't afford to pay the rent. But, you know, even from a landlord's perspective, it's very difficult. You know, many landlords, um, they, they, they cannot afford to reduce the rent because if they reduce the rent, it basically means that the capital value of that asset has reduced. The value of that property has reduced. And many of those landlords will have borrowed money, to, like a mortgage on a home, they will have borrowed money to, to, to own that property. And if the value of that property goes down, it's like negative equity in your home, then the bank will call in the loan and the landlord will go bust. So landlords, you know, it's all very well to complain landlords should be reducing the rent. A lot of them can't do it. Otherwise, the banks will come in and close them down. Right. So, you know, you have this knock-on effect and this domino effect. And it's arisen because the government hasn't done this, in my view, in the correct approach. They should have treated this as an insurance issue um, and encouraged people to try and work to whatever you know, way they could, work from home if they could, encourage restaurants to sell food in other ways. Um, but the problem is you couldn't employ people on a part-time basis. And that's been one of the fundamental problems with the whole furlough scheme. Yes. I mean, some restaurant owners have been able to make that work. But as you know, Lance, better than anyone, it's quite difficult, particularly if you've got a small restaurant, uh, to bring people in to work in the kitchen without being two metres apart. And that's kind of where I am as far as the one metre rule is concerned. I disagree with you that it's only going to be a small help. I think it might be able to. I mean, certainly people I know have said to me, we can make money with a restaurant where people can sit one metre apart. And we can now obviously have these bubbles of people uh, who can now go out and have dinner. And I realise that there will be people listening to this going, this is these middle-class idiots talking about how important it is to go out for dinner. But, I mean, it is important. It's a big part of the economy. It employs an awful lot of people. And it's not just about, you know, overprivileged, overpaid people like you and I, Lance, uh, basically able to go and have a bit of smoked salmon when we fancy it. It's about employing a large portion of, of, of the working people of this country. Um, and it's about kicking, starting the economy but i really think that if the uh the pubs can open uh, and if the restaurants can open in some way shape or form it's surely got to be a good thing yeah look i i hope and pray that is the case and i think you know i i would agree with you certainly for younger people i don't think they will have any fear at all you know the very fact that you've seen tens of thousands of people out in the streets protesting they're clearly not that worried about social distancing and i don't think they will have any issue going back to uh uh, back to restaurants no. and I think you know they, they won't feel any fear so you know 
I think that for, for, for some of those restaurants, you know, we might not see a problem. But, you know, for other people, it's going to take time. Um, and for a lot of certainly higher-end restaurants, um, you know, part of the attraction of going to the restaurant isn't just the food, it's the ambiance. And if you've got a restaurant that's half empty because they can only have half the people in, then you've lost the ambiance and then it's not going to be quite so attractive. And people go to a restaurant for people watching. And if you've got half the people there, there's only half the people to watch. So yes. I don't know. I mean, let's see. You know, when it was interesting, after 9-11, um, 11 people said, I'm never going to go into a skyscraper again. Yeah. I'm never going to work in a tall building. I'm never going to live in a tall building. Within a year or two, they'd forgotten about it all and, you know, life was back to normal. Maybe, you know, and I hope that that's what will happen here. Maybe it'll just be one of those crazy, you know, early starts to year and the new normal will actually be the old normal. Maybe with a few people working from home a bit more. Yes. Well, certainly it seems to me that the trend in terms of the medical uh, stuff that we're looking at every single day uh, seems to be very much that the, the virus is on the wane. Um, whether or not there's a second wave or not, I guess we will discover that sooner rather than later. But at the moment, Lance, it does seem an evidence from the rest of the world and around other countries in Europe seems to me to be that the virus has kind of definitely become less strong and less virulent uh, since March. Yeah, well, they did. And in fact, if you go back to what Boris was saying very early on, he was saying one of the reasons for the lockdown when it was, was because they wanted to have it before the summer, because in the summer they would expect, you know, less spreading of the, the virus. The, the, the big unknown for everybody is what happens this winter. Is mm. it going to come back? Is it going to come back in the same form or different form? Or will it just not come back at all? We don't know. And that, 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 that I think, is the fear. And, you know, again, coming back to businesses, will they want to reopen go sort of hell for leather in sort of driving their new business forward, you know, you know, with the possibility that, you know, November comes along and they've got to shut it all down again. So they might be a little bit more cautious about um, how they invest and how they reopen now. And of course, you'll have new businesses, you know, in every crisis, there's an opportunity, I'm sure, you know, you, like we had tie rack and body shop, you'll probably see mask rack uh, <laughs> popping <laughs> up and rack. selling sort of all sorts of colourful masks you uh I, I don't know so people will find opportunities you might get new tourist opportunities you know the last sightseeing to so come and see nelson's column before it's torn down you might get all sorts of uh, <laughs> tourism opportunities yes who knows well you know who knows we live in an uncertain world and uh people respond in different ways. Well, of course. And there are portions of the economy that have been booming. I mean, if you were running Tesco's or Waitrose or Aldi's or, or Lidl's uh, or uh, any number of others, Asda's, I mean, you'd be looking at record profits right now. Um, you know, your business, I know, relies upon, as you say, a lot of restaurants and a lot of um, professional catering organisations. But but you're doing, I think you're doing okay. I don't want to jump the gun there. Uh, but, you know, um, there are people who have done well out of this. And, of course, um, you know, the, 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 the economy is going to be in such dire straits, we keep being told, that the government sort of has to prop it up, doesn't it? Um, well, the, the best way, you know, the, the best way to help the economy um, is really to, you know, it, you know, you have to allow business to thrive. And the best way business can thrive is through two things. One, low taxes, and two, as little regulation as possible. I wrote an article recently where I said, you know, business has to steer its way through this. What the government needs to do is get rid of the economic potholes and remove the speed bumps. You know, the, the, it's only the private sector that creates the wealth that actually funds the NHS and funds everything we want in our social services. You have to allow the, the, the private sector to flourish. 
So government's just got to, you know, step back and let business get on with it. And business will always find a way. That's the nature of business. You know, that they do, you know, business does find opportunities in, in any sort of situation. But the, the more the government tries to regulate and, you know, it, it just makes it much more challenging. And these rules now, you know, the bubble rules, it's just, it's very difficult when you start trying to legislate at that level of detail. So somebody, you, you, you can't go into somebody's house unless you're walking through the house to go to the garden. But if you need to take a leak while you're in the garden, you're not, you've got to do it in the garden because you're not allowed back in there. You know, it just becomes a bit, it's almost like a Monty Python sketch. Yeah. It just becomes a little bit ridiculous. You have to, you know, and it's difficult because you can't legislate for common sense, but you have to rely on the common sense for people. And I think, I think, you know, we have a, little British people have a lot of common sense. Uh, but, well, by uh, and large, we by and large, to... most people are sensible. I don't think there's any yeah. doubt about that. And most yeah. people have seen from the beginning, you know, what it was that the government was trying to do. And for those of us like me, I didn't see my family for about eight weeks because that was the right thing to do. When the time came, I went back to see them again, but I didn't stay the night. You know, when the time comes for me to give them a hug, which would apparently be right about now, uh, that's what I'm going to do. And so, you know, I mean, you just use common sense, but you're right, absolutely right about the private sector. I was absolutely horrified yesterday, Lance, and you may know this already, to discover hundreds and hundreds of people working at City Hall for uh, Transport for London, working for Sadiq Khan, making more than six figures but one guy in particular whose name escapes me for the moment who runs tfl is on five hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year it's absolutely extraordinary yeah well, what can i say i mean you know it's uh you know it, it is crazy i mean I, I i've never really understood how anyone working in the public sector can earn more than the prime minister yeah. because you know the prime minister has the most responsible job in the country so I've, I've never really understood that but this you know the government have thrown an absolute fortune at this 300 billion is what it's going to cost now just to put that into perspective that's twelve thousand pounds for every single family in the uk mm. that is what coronavirus is costing now not costing in the future that's what it's costing twelve thousand pounds for every family to protect us it's a huge huge amount of money and you know th there's only one way it can be paid back and that is through you know economic growth and that has to be done through the private sector because when the government funds it it's it's having to borrow more and that, then you have to fund you know the private sector has to fund that you've got to allow the the, the, the private sector to flourish now yes. so um that would be my advice to uh, to to boris or rishi sunak Absolutely right. Lance, thank you very much indeed. Lance Foreman there, former Brexit Party MEP, businessman, of course, man that knows a thing or two about the economics of the private sector, uh, because he's, of course, been working in that for many, many years. But interesting that, that, that he said there, a lot of restaurants that he supplied stuff to in February have not paid him because they're still saying they haven't got any money. Now, if it turns out that in September, a lot of restaurants decide to close their doors forever because the, 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 the government is no longer going to be paying their employees through the furlough scheme, and they then start up again with a new company, having not paid their creditors from the old company. I think that will be very poor indeed. And I'd like not to see that happening. What I would like to see happening uh, is responsible uh, and proper businesses doing the right thing, reopening. If the one metre rule is going to help them, and I disagree with Lance that it's only a small help. I think it's going to be quite a big help. If the one metre rule works, it's going to work in schools, it's going to work in pubs, it's going to work in bars, it's going to work in coffee shops, it's going to work in restaurants, and it's going to work for the economy. I want to hear from you on this. 0344 499 1000. Don't forget, we are live streaming on YouTube right now. Join the growing number of people watching us as well as listening to us too. We've got lots to talk about this morning. Loads more going on, including a conversation about this terrible video that was shot in 
in Hackney yesterday uh, of two police officers being beaten up, basically, uh, by a bunch of feral thugs who just basically jumped all over them. Uh, and even Hackney police have said it must be stopped and something has to be done about it. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. We're going to talk now to Norman Brennan, uh, who is director of the Law and Order Foundation, former police officer of 31 years in London. Uh, he, like me, watched a video last night of something which I never thought I would see in this country, apart from in the midst of some kind of dreadful rioting situation, where two police officers are on the streets of Hackney, uh, a London borough, uh, towards the sort of northeast of this uh, fair city of ours, which I can't see from here today uh, because the view is so bad and the rain is so heavy and the mist is so dark that we can't actually see Hackney Uh, it may be just as well because on the streets of Hackney yesterday two police officers were attacked by what can only be described as a feral mob of criminals they didn't seem to have any fear they didn't seem to have any worries they didn't seem to have any um, concerns whatsoever that there would be repercussions for what they were doing and it seems to me that if we have reached a point where the police in this country cannot walk the streets safely then what the hell is going on I was critical earlier on this week uh, of videos showing the police running away from uh, marches back in uh, uh, the Black Lives Matter march back at the weekend if there's going to be more marches this weekend what on earth is it going to end up like I just asked uh, Tory MP if he was going to stop the marching and best he could say was we're going to urge people not to do it Well, really? These people are criminals. You can't urge criminals not to commit crime. They commit crime because they're criminals. You need to lock them up, you numpty. 0344 499 1000 is the number. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to welcome Norman Brennan to the show. We've not spoken for a while, Norman. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, good morning to you. Well, I actually posted this video yesterday on social media because I was so disgusted. Yes. And it clearly was uh, received by many others that felt the same as me because it went viral. And um, I was just absolutely disgusted. But the sad reality is, Mike, this happens day in and day out, not just in London, but many cities and villages and towns around Britain. Mm. Often the officer is alone. Fortunately, there were two officers there, one black female and one uh, white male and uh, the white male at one point was in a headlock and could hardly breathe right. and what is it that the black lives matter group were talking about i can't breathe well yesterday afternoon one of my colleagues couldn't breathe for a little while and had the black uh, suspect not let go of him who knows what could have happened yes we're watching the video now live on youtube as we speak because i'm not sure if you filmed it or it came to you by by some other means but it's quite an extraordinary situation i don't know how much you know about it norman do you have any idea how it started or what happened what was going on well my understanding that there was a a suspect that was reported to the police involved in some uh, i think it was a a drugs matter or certainly a local matter there right Uh, the victim actually pointed out the suspect to the officers the officers went to deal with the uh, suspect and uh, as is so often the case uh, the suspect became uh, uh, aggressive obstructive um, and a scuffle ensued Mm. but within seconds or a minute or two there were up to six or seven other black people and a white female and they started attacking the officers and another one started filming it Mm. jumping around like a, a banshee 
thinking it was funny. Yeah. And one of the, the black officers, some have criticised her. I've got no criticism whatsoever. She was trying to protect the officer that was rolling around on the on ground. On the ground, who was getting kicked at this point as well, right? And some other big black guy that I'm, I hope we've identified, we, if we haven't asked to send it on social media again, came along and kicked the officer on the ground. What people don't quite understand, Mike, is this. You kick an officer or anybody when they're on the ground in the head, there is a good chance that you could cause an hemorrhage. Yeah. And you just mentioned earlier on about um, the dreadful attacks last weekend that uh, assaulted 35 of uh, our police, frontline police officers. Mm. I believe unless we can get the proper police officers on the beat, and they're, they're the ones that uh, are level one. They're the ones with shields. We don't have riot squads. What we have is territorial support groups that yeah. have the shields. Right. I believe that a frontline police officer in London is going to be murdered very soon. That is the anger and viral that some of mm. these uh, Black Lives Matter people have in their system. as an anger and a hatred yeah. I haven't seen for a long time. Well, this is, I mean, as, as you and I have seen many years ago, Norman, these are the kind of people that would take part in all sorts of different demonstrations. We had the global, the anti-globalist movement, you know, the guys that would wear balaclavas uh, and try and hurl all sorts of missiles at the police and anybody else that was trying to stop them from marching on, you know, big corporate headquarters. We've had the Extinction Rebellion crowd who seem to be a little bit more, um, shall we say, peaceful, but however, still have this anarchistic kind of uh, tendency and are quite happy to vandalise government buildings. We've seen it on the night that Boris Johnson was elected where you had a, a sort of vile crowd chanting outside of Downing Street. You know, I would guarantee you that many of these people are the same people. But the trouble with the Black Lives Matter movement is that it has, has, has also attracted what I would regard as a criminal element who are anti-police, uh, who spend their lives committing crime, uh, probably dealing drugs, um, and they see this as a great opportunity to crack a few policemen's heads. That's exactly what they do. It's always the snipe and the, the swipe, and we saw last week at the officers that were level three. These officers were there with flat caps and helmets, yeah. predominantly flat caps, because they're community-based police officers. Right. They're the ones that try and walk the beats, that put their hands out to the community, work with all communities, yeah. and are their friends. And what some of these rebel feral elements forget is that police officers are members of the public. So yeah. Robert Peel once said, the police are the public, the public are the police. Mm. So what they're doing is they're kicking what the public have voted in, that is police officers, both black and white, men and women, that risk their lives day in and day out. And let's not miss the focus on what this is really all about. I believe it was an excuse and not a reason. We keep on hearing these chants, Mike, of no justice, no peace. Yeah. Well, it happened over in Mississippi, Mississippi or whatever, where a rogue police officer that the world's police service have condemned. Yes. And he and three others have been arrested. In Minneapolis, so, yeah. Yep, it's in Minneapolis. So four are in custody for that particular death. They've been charged with a homicide. Yeah. What further justice is it they want? Or is this an excuse to go on the streets of London and Britain, attack police officers, loot shops, and burn down businesses, often with their own communities? And the caveat to that, Mike, is this. I truly pray that I hope I'm wrong in my view. 
is we are heading towards anarchy on the streets of Britain. And when I say that could be days or in the next few weeks, that's how serious this matter is. The only thing I think that's saving us at the moment, I have to say, Norman, is the weather. You know, I know that might sound a bit trite, but quite frankly, you know, revolution happens in the sunshine in this country. And if it stays rainy like this, I don't think this weekend will be too difficult. But if the weather improves... um, I would imagine that some of these bozos will think it's another great opportunity to get out there marching around in the streets. Forget about COVID-19. But the other interesting aspect of what may happen this weekend is that there have been other groups uh, who call themselves patriots who will come down to London, they say, and protect the monuments. Now, in that situation, the police have got a massive problem. You're right. And I don't want to stoke up any issues here, but I got a DM yesterday evening that uh, I don't know where the Nelson Mandela statute is. But uh, it was intimated to me that people were looking at the right wing are looking at dragging that off its plinth. Well, that's ridiculous. Well, I mean, how can you argue that people shouldn't be dragging statues off their plinths if you then go and drag a statue off a plinth? I, I completely agree. My point is the antagonistic behaviour by some of the black community feral element is beginning to wind up the people that we want off of our streets. They're the right wing Well, the point is it will wind people up, particularly if the police are not seen to be doing their job. Well, that's exactly it. Well, I posted to the Metropolitan Police last night that um, Cressida Dick and her senior management team must get a grip of this. And I will be posting to Boris Johnson today and the Home Secretary saying that I believe that there's going to be anarchy on the streets unless the police can take control. That's what needs to happen. And if that doesn't happen, Mike... I'll be quite honest with you, I've looked at the senior management within the Met and some other forces, and these people are completely detached with reality. Many frontline officers and even retired officers and the public think all they're interested in is getting the next rank up, getting their knighthoods and QPMs, and being nice and friendly and woolly, cuddly and pink and fluffy. Well, they're not the types of people we want. We want people that are leaders, that have passion that have views and a vision and are not prepared and are not frightened of making tough decisions. If they can't do it, maybe the whole senior management team of the Metropolitan Police should be removed and we have military leaders that have got those qualities and can lead officers. Because many frontline Metropolitan Police officers, I'm telling you, Mike, have said to me, Norman, we feel as though we in the Metropolitan Police are the lions led by donkeys. Yes. Now, that is a terrible indictment on their senior management. Well, it really is, because at the end of the day, uh, I think I saw, did I not, a a bunch of police officers complaining last week uh, that they were not properly protected by their leaders, that they were not given the right uh, equipment, that they were not able to do the work that they wanted to do. And that was why so many of them basically uh, were seen running away, which was an awful scene for me. And I mean, I'm not blaming individual officers here, but to run away from a mob of, of people running towards you when you're supposed to be policing a demonstration, seems to me uh, to be uh, waving the white flag. You're absolutely right. And some of these officers were kicked up the backside. Yeah. I cannot recall in my 31 years where I would have accepted being kicked up the backside. No. I've certainly been outnumbered, don't get me wrong. I've been there when you put that call out and they're all coming at you. Yeah. And you're on your own and you fear. But the thing is, as we know, police officers don't run away. At that particular time, they were probably told by the senior management to actually do that. There were bottles being thrown at officers that were black and white, male or female. And again, Mike, like I said earlier on, about being kicked in the head. If one of those bottles had hit an officer at the back of the head, they didn't have their protective uh, helmets on, they could have received a serious injury. Yeah. 
35 officers were injured, two seriously. One was uh, knocked off of a horse. Apparently she hit a traffic bollard. She did, yeah. Yeah, because the horse was bolting, having had a bike thrown at it by one of these scumbags. Absolutely. And the biggest gripe that I've got is this, is the police officers police without fear or favour. And these Black Lives Matter movement have demanded that we in Britain kneel down to them and their cause. Well, let me tell you this. Yesterday evening at six o'clock when they wanted to do that, I stood up. I stood proud alongside my police colleagues throughout Britain, and we will kneel to nobody. But let me tell you when we do kneel, Mike, and that's this, is when black boys have shot or stabbed another black boy, when men have shot, black men have shot another black man through the drug terse war, my colleagues are kneeling down, putting pads over the bullet holes and the stab wounds, trying to save that person's life. We do enough kneeling down Mm. to the black community. We certainly won't be getting down on our knees now. And I have told the police service, stand strong, stand straight and rigid. You do not kneel to any sections of the community. We police them all fairly, properly. And that's what the police oath is all about. Yes, absolutely well said. And Hackney Police have said that they will be making arrests as a result of this video. Uh, So we've got you to thank for that. But also, what do you make of this, right? Uh, An interview on Channel 4 yesterday with uh, Cathy Newman uh, and the Metropolitan Police Assistant Commissioner Neil Basu, who basically said that had he not been in the police, he probably would have been on the march. I'll be quite honest with you, I've got friends of mine in the Met and he's a very highly regarded police officer, so I will try and I try and guide my criticism to personal views, is that um, I felt that uh, the letter was good, but why was it sent? Mm. Many of us believe it's no more than fawning to the black community and the criminal element amongst them. Of course he's going to get his knighthood. That is very, very safe. But we don't want police officers writing those sorts of letters just to appease those that he and the Cressida Dick know and believe that we are one controversial death of a black member of the public in Britain away from riots. So that is the crux of all of this, Mike, is that the Met Police and many chief constables know that if there's a controversial death involving uh, a black suspect in any of those areas, the likelihood there would be riots. Now, what way is that to run the British Police Service that we appease and write letters of fawnment to these black groups with often got feral elements in them and we deal with enough gun and knife crime in the black community because we're frightened of upsetting them in case they go out attack police officers loot shops burn them down often in their own communities now that is anarchy and that is the message that britain must understand is that we police without fear and favor there should be no favors to anybody if we get it wrong anything within policing we try and put it right At this moment in time, we're dealing with someone that was killed nearly four and a half thousand miles away. What has that got to do with Britain? There's been no controversial death since Mark uh, Duggan. He was lawfully killed. There were unlawful riots. I can see that happening now. And the British Police Service, we've built bridges, we've climbed mountains to the black community, and we're being abused and insulted and assaulted for it. Yes. 
Norman, very well said. Thank you so much for joining us. I think that message will be resonating loud and clear across this country uh, as people think about what is going on. We'll be talking to Sean Bailey, uh, who is um, the mayoral candidate for the Tory party. He's also a black British man. We'll get his view on what Norman Brennan has just said. Bridges have been built, you know, mountains have been climbed, and yet police officers in this country are still being abused, they're being attacked, and one of these days, one of them could be far more seriously injured than that poor woman who, who was knocked off her horse the other night outside of Downing Street. This is Talk Radio. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the independent republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We just heard Norman Brennan, uh, a former police officer in London, give a very, very impassioned plea uh, on the behalf not only of himself, but of all police officers in London and elsewhere, uh, that they need to be given the proper protection, uh, they need to be given the proper support, and they need to be given the proper uh, absolute and utter devotion that the government has not given them over time. We're going to talk now to Sean Bailey, uh, who is, of course, the uh, London mayoral candidate for the Tory party. Uh, he's standing against Sadiq Khan next year. It would have been this year. Uh, Sean, welcome. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. Hello to all your guests. Yes, not at all. Uh, I see that uh, from uh, the Metropolitan Police Twitter feed that two men have been arrested in this uh, in this attack. Uh, being assaulted is not part of the job, is what they say. You were quite vocal about this on uh, social media last night as well. I mean, it's come to something, has it not? If the thugs of this country, uh, and that's what they are, uh, are able to, uh, with impunity, attack police officers in broad daylight on the streets of London. But that's a real worry, isn't it? There's two ends of this. Firstly, the police officers should be given the protection that they need to carry out the job. That's a given, and that's why I'm a big fan of things like the police covenant. It's something that I'll certainly have in, in my manifesto to look after the police. But the other um, part of this is, of course, we all lose if people feel like they can just attack the police. That's one step closer to anarchy, which is good for no one, no matter who you are. So that's why I was so vocal on on Twitter last night, because I was shocked and appalled at this. And anybody who thinks this doesn't affect them should realise that we need the police to be able to interact with everybody quickly and safely for all of our own good. Absolutely right. And you've you've also said uh, in the past that part of the problem here is that Sadiq Khan has been sort of encouraging this mob mentality. And regardless of, of, you know, what we know about the Black Lives Matter movement and the fact that these uh, ridiculous, for me anyway, protests have been allowed to happen. You know, the element of, of, of those people who are on the streets of Hackney are seeing that as a kind of carte blanche for them or a green light to attack the police because they've seen the police being weak. That's right, but this goes all the way back to Extinction Rebellion and how he how he dealt with them. He practically invited them onto the street to cause anarchy. And look, of course, if you challenge the police's authority 
from their boss, because remember, Sadiq Khan is the police commissioner for London. If he challenges their authority, of course, everybody else will follow. And again, I, I'm so I'm worried about this because this means that we can't ask the police to administer their job if they're worried that they won't get cover from the top because it's the top inviting people onto the streets. Yes, exactly right. And as far as, um, you know, the real issues that serve, that serve the black community in this uh, city of ours, because that's what we're talking about at the moment, London, but there are also, um, you know, issues that would, that would affect black people in all parts of, of Britain. You know, there are far more important things going on, surely, than the removal of a few statues. What really shocked me about these statues things, I'll, I'll put it to you, your guests like this. It took two years for the mayor to get a knife crime strategy together, remembering that in that period he had a record amount of knife deaths. But this, which makes him look good and he can get good photo shoots from, he does in two days. This is about priorities. This is about the safety of Londoners. This is about public safety. And, of course, the Met is the biggest force in the country by far. So where they lead, many forces often follow. So I think the mayor really has to do two things. One, demonstrate he's on the side of the public and the police and also have a coherent plan for dealing with not just protests but crime in London in general. Is it not time as well, Sean, though, for important figures like yourself to call for an end to these protests you know they've made their point we understand that black lives matter we understand that the killing the unlawful killing of a, of a man in minneapolis by some ghastly individuals who happened to be police officers was wrong you know we understand we hear them we listening to them but we don't need to have these demos going on every single weekend until they decide not to do them because you know what's going to happen i mean you yourself have said uh, that they've been hijacked now you're completely right so let's be clear i knew that uh, look, I've been a youth worker for 20 years. I know that if you don't give a community an outlet, it comes out in very horrible ways. Mm. That's why I think the demonstrations had to happen. Right. But I've also now said enough is enough. We understand the message. Black Lives Matters need to reclaim their message because it's being p- p- picked up by thugs and people are using it for all other manner of things other than this message. So it's time for the demonstrations to stop because the message has been heard and also there's safety, public safety, and of course the, the pandemic's in safety as well to take into account so it is time for them to stop because there's other ways to carry on on the struggle that you know that people are very interested in 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 having and if we don't take charge of this message now i think black lives matter could lose some of the sympathy the great amount of sympathy that the public have for this issue well i think that's absolutely right and 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 it will become more and more clear if there is another demo uh, and if there is more violence and there is more trouble there's no one brennan said you know eventually something really awful will happen i mean we've already had one uh, police officer seriously injured by uh, being knocked off a horse because of an incident last weekend. You know, I don't think we can risk something like that happening because the problem for uh, the black community in this country is the police will just have to crack down even harder and it will go back to where it was, you know, possibly years ago. The point is this. This isn't an issue for the black community. This is an issue for us all. If you are British, if you live in this country, if you believe in our democracy, we give our authority to the police and that has to be administered properly. Everybody understands this. But there's also a responsibility on us to, if we protest, protest um, peaceably. And when we've made our point with the protest, move on to the next step in the democratic process. A protest is to shine a light on the issue. Then it's up to public discourse and public leaders to find an answer. A riot, um, public... Um, a lack of public safety never 
helps anybody. It just dilutes the message and means people rightly concentrate on something else. So I hope if you're exercised about this issue, you realise it's time to reclaim it so we can have the difficult and sometimes complicated conversation we're going to have to have about how we go forward as a nation. Yes, and I don't know whether you're able to have sort of one-to-one conversations with the Mayor, Sadiq Khan, um, but if you can't have a one-to-one conversation, give him a message now, Sean, on Talk Radio, so that he understands exactly how you feel and you think, and you tell him what you think he should do. It's simple. Where are you? That's the question people have been asking me. People who, who support me, people who don't support me, have been saying, where is Sadiq Khan? Yeah, well, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I can barely see City Hall through the gloom from this uh, office window, uh, but I could keep eyes on him if he was there. Um, but instead, I learned yesterday that the head of Transport for London makes 530 thousand pounds a year, um, and there's more than 500 or 600 people working in, in that building who make over six figures. This is not what people in London want to know about. This is what people in London need to, to find out about, that these people are just living very high on the hog, and they don't care a stuff for London. Listen, I've been making a point about Transport for London for ages. Transport for London has some very, very dedicated, good staff. But unfortunately, the man at the top, Sadiq Khan, he's a chairman, made some poor financial decisions, which meant 30% of the staff lost their job. But of course, none of the people who are at the top who are highly paid lost their job. In fact, they're living as you say, high high on the hog. Transport for London is just one of the issues that the mayor has failed on in London that we need to have a look at. And of course, your listeners will know I'm his opponent, of course I would say that, but I challenge you just to look at the facts. You know, Transport for London was bankrupt before Corona. The government had to bail out um, Transport for London over the Crossrail project. Mm. We are in real trouble with that, and it makes a difference, because what it means is you and I, Londoners, will pay more to travel for a longer time. Then the prices will go up and up and up because you have debts to replay. We owe the government in London £3.6 billion because the mayor did not deliver Crossrail 1. Well, if he doesn't get control of the streets of London back, the tourism's going to go south as well, and we're going to not have any money, and we'll end up like New York did in the 1970s because it was so dangerous, nobody could ever go there. Tourism to us in this country, particularly in London, is so important. We have anything from 20 million to 30 million visitors a year. I think it brings in an enormous sum of money, somewhere um, um, north of two billion a year. So many people are employed in that arena. We have to get that up. But of course, London is not open if London is not safe. Number one job of the mayor is public safety and that's the real worry that Sadiq Khan has failed on that. Absolutely. Sean Bailey, thank you very much indeed uh, talking to us here uh, as Conservative candidate for Mayor of London. Yes, of course he would be critical of Sadiq Khan, but as he said, where is he? Sadiq Khan has actively encouraged these people uh, to roam the streets of London unencumbered by the police. He's encouraged these people to demonstrate against statues. He's practically encouraged them to pull the statues down. He certainly encouraged them to nominate statues that shouldn't be there. And he certainly has not supported the police of this city in order to feel safe against the thugs. And as we saw yesterday, unfortunately, in Hackney, two police officers attacked and kicked and punched by thuggish elements of the society in which we live. Criminals. Two of them have been arrested. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We welcome back Dr Jamie Frost, math teacher, finalist for the Global Teacher Prize 2020. Uh, we've had a very good session with him once already. Today, uh, we're going to talk about prime numbers because many of you might go, what on earth is a prime number and what does it do? Um, Dr Jamie, very good uh, afternoon to you. Welcome back. 
It's great to be back. Thank you for having me back. Not at all. Thanks very much indeed. I mean, there's more kids back at school, I suppose, now than there were when we last spoke. But there's still plenty of them listening to this and uh, and hoping to learn something. So, so tell us, first of all, what is a prime number? Um, so imagine you've got like 20 people and you want to divvy them up into uh, football teams. Um, now, what's one way you could split those people into equally sized football teams? What could you do? Well, you could split them into two teams of 10. Uh, or possibly four teams of five, okay. or possibly... Um... That's right. And what? Go on. Yeah, you're right. And, and basically what you've identified is something called factor pairs. So 10 and 2 are a factor pair of 20 because you can split 20 into 10 lots of 2 or 2 lots of 10. Right. So 10 and 2 are factors of 20, and we'd say that 20 and 2 together are a factor pair of 20. Um and the way I remember the word factor, by the way, is um, how we use it in the English language. Because if I said I uh, factored something into my decision, yes. I mean that that formed part of my decision, just like four forms part of 20. It's a fact of 20. It's um, part of it, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, now, let's say I had 11 people and I wanted to split them into football teams. Uh, what, what would happen now? Well, now you're going to have somebody left out, aren't you? Because you're not going to be able to have an even number of, of, of people in, in, in a team. So one team is either going to have one more exactly. than everybody else. Yeah, and the only way you could do it is kind of if you had like 11 teams of one or you had, um, even more ridiculously, one team of 11, which would be a pretty <laughs> rubbish game of football. Yeah. Uh, although probably better than the fact we have no football at the moment. Well, I was going to uh, say, so we'll, somebody, we'll get. somebody would probably still watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine so. Um, but um, we can see that 11 is not very nicely divisible. It doesn't have any factors except for one, because you can always divide anything by one, yeah. and itself, because you can divide 11 into 11 without anything left over. Right. So we say that 11 is a prime number because its only factor pair is one and itself. You can right. only divide it by one itself, right. and it has no other factors. Right. Whereas 20, which we had had lots of factors. It had one, two, four, five, ten, right. uh, twenty, etc. Right. So that's ultimately uh, what a prime number is. Um, and prime numbers are useful in everyday life um, when um, it, it gives a notion of, of how divisible something is and how good it is at sharing. Mm. So take our currency, for example. We have 100 pennies in a pound, um, and 100 has a lot of factors, which means it can be divided up into smaller coins like 10p, 20p. Whereas prime numbers are like the opposite, is when we can't share something nicely without having something left over, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, it's also hugely important in technology. So if you use WhatsApp, for example, that uses end-to-end -end encryption. So when you type in a message, it's encrypted in a way to kind of scramble the message and then decrypted when it comes to the other end so they can read your message. Um, and if I was to just say pick uh, two prime numbers, like say 71 and 97, um, and I was to multiply them together, I get, well, I've done my calculator earlier, I get 6,887. Now, I can easily do that on my calculator. I can just times those numbers together, and I get 6887. Right. But actually, if I said, okay, I've got 6887, what were the two numbers that multiplied together? Then, believe it or not, in maths, that's really hard to do. No one's managed to work out a good way of working out what two numbers, what two prime numbers multiplied yeah. to give that number I told you, the 8887. And that forms like the, the kind of basis of uh, encryption, like one-to-one -one 
uh, this kind of end-to-end -end encryption that we use on, say, WhatsApp. So prime numbers are hugely important technology. They're kind of important in, in everyday life. Right. Um, and it, it's a huge part of maths. So, um, so, so a little task for you now. Okay, I was just, let me just ask you a question. First. So it's a kind of almost a coding thing as well then, presumably. Because if you are you telling me that if you multiply two prime numbers together, the resulting number is not a prime number? Um, it won't be a prime number because, for example, if I Can't multiply um, 71 and 97 together, then that number will be divisible by, it will have factors of 71 and 97. But it's, the, the point is, it's very hard to find out what those factors were in, unless I told you that yes. I'd multiplied 71 and them together. And because you can't, and, and obviously we deal with much bigger numbers because a computer can easily work out what the factors of 6,887 is. But if I gave you a gigantic, like, 50-digit number, mm. a computer would have a much harder uh, time trying to work out what those two numbers were. And that forms a part of uh, a part of, uh, maths called group theory. Um, and that, in turn, forms part of encryption. So kind of computer science and maths are really kind of interlinked. Right. A lot of stuff we do in computer science computing uses a lot of very uh, high-level mathematics. Mm. So you were about to uh, give me a task, I sense. Hopefully it's not too difficult. Yeah, yeah. I've got a few numbers here for you. So I've got 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. I'll make sure it's visible right. on the screen. Do I need and to I write these down? And I want you to work out. Uh, yeah, it may help. And I basically want you to work out 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Yeah. Which of those numbers are the prime numbers? Right. Well, 15 uh, can be divided by more than itself and one. So that's not a prime number. Yeah. 16 yeah, is... You can divide by five and three. Yeah, so six, that is... 16 that's is the prime. same. I would say 17 is a prime number. That's right. You can't divide up 17 yeah. in any way. I would say them. 18 is not a prime number. That's right. Any even number except for two is never going to be prime okay. because you can always divide it by two. Right. So I would you say... So I would two. say... Um, 17 and 19 are the two prime numbers. That's right. You're absolutely correct. Well done. So you obviously understand prime numbers because you've correctly identified the two prime numbers. Well done. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Now, how about this? If I multiply two prime numbers together, 2 and 11, I get 22. That's not a prime number. Yep. So is that then the case of all of these things that you, you know, I know I asked you this before. If I multiply two prime numbers together, the resulting number is never a prime number. That's right, of course, because when you multiply 2 and 11 to get 22, 22 will have factors of 2 and 11, won't it? Yes, it will. But let me ask you this. I mean, you've sort of explained about how important prime numbers are to mathematical um, equations and, and in a way to coding and to encryption and all of that. But to kind of basic uh, ch for children listening to this who are maybe either struggling with their maths or trying to figure out how important this is to their learning process, how important is it for hmm. people to understand prime numbers, you know, just for general sort of day-to-day -day life? Um, it's, it, it, can be, it has a lot of applications in everyday life. So one thing um, it can be used to do, if you find something known as a prime factorization of a number, so um, students who've done this at school will see it kind of like splitting a number into sort of like a, a tree um, where, and they end up with prime numbers at the bottom. So this is in the, the main school curriculum. But you can then use that to find something um, called the lowest common multiple of a number. Uh -huh. So if you had, say, two buses and one bus came every, say, 15 minutes and the other bus came every 10 minutes, um, then you might wonder, well, how often do the buses come together? 
Mm. So they would come together every 30 minutes because one comes at 50 minutes past, 30 minutes past, etc. The other comes at 10 minutes past, 20 minutes past, 30 minutes past. So 30 is the lowest common multiple of 50 and 10. And if you use the prime factorization of these numbers, um, it makes it easier to work out that lowest common multiple. And the mm. example I gave, it was pretty easy to work out what that multiple was, the common yeah. multiple. Right. But for larger numbers, it's much harder. And prime numbers gives us a, a way to kind of systematically work that out. Right. Interesting. I mean, I suppose in that bus scenario, and this is where you will start to find me extremely irritating, um, there might be a situation where they would never come together, depending on when they started. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So if one, uh, if they each came every 10 minutes, but one came at two minutes past, and one came at four minutes past, then yeah. you're right. They, they would never overlap. So sometimes they, over, they would overlap and sometimes they don't. But if they both came at the same time at some point, um, then at, even if they're going at different intervals, one at, say, five minutes and one at 11 minutes, mm. they'll be at some point in the future when they'll arrive together again. Yes. Although presumably if they were trying to navigate the streets of London, they'd all be held up by the cyclists and the myriad number of traffic <laughs> yeah. lights. So, you know, you'd probably be waiting a long time, to be honest. <laughs> but listen, Dr. <laughs> Jamie, brilliant as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Dr. Jamie Frost, a maths teacher, brilliant maths teacher, by the way, finalist for the Global Teacher Prize 2020. No wonder, because he makes it all seem so straightforward. So if you didn't know what prime numbers were before, you should now. And now you know why they're so important. You couldn't send a WhatsApp message if we didn't have them. Simple as that. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.